Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Well, welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. It's great to have you with me. Hey, before I dive in today, I want to make sure that you are getting leading thoughts. It's my l- weekly leadership email blast. It's free of charge. We won't sell your information, but it's about all of the soft factors that help you be a success as a leader. I'm telling you what, it's 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 pretty important. For example, today, I wrote the one for this week, and it's about your leadership diet. What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you absorbing? How are you feeding yourself as a leader? If Tom Brady has to have a special nutrition regimen so he can function as an elite athlete, what regimen do you need to have, speaking of the what you consume then, uh, so that you can be the elite leader that you dream of being? That's the kind of stuff we deal with. So go to stephenmansfield.tv. You'll find the place right on the homepage to subscribe, and you can jump in with us. All right. I want to do a slightly different kind of podcast this time. We've been talking a lot about Trump and a lot about insurrections and a lot about the new Biden administration and all that. I'd like to step away from the headlines for just a minute and talk to you about one of the most important aspects of our American society. So let me do it this way. I want to read to you the oath that the president of the United States gives when he is or she is inaugurated. Okay, in this case, it comes from the Constitution. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 8 of the U.S. Constitution says the following. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Okay, you've heard that before. I want you to notice that in a way that is unusual among all nations and unusual in history, our president commits him or herself to a document, to the Constitution. And by the way, it's not even the document that made us an independent people. It's a document of governmental procedures. Okay, I'll come back to that topic in just a minute. Here is what someone uh, takes as the oath when they're entering the Senate. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. There's more, but I'm not going to read it. By the way, someone entering the House the lower uh, chamber of our Congress takes exactly the same oath. Consider this, someone who is a new citizen of the United States, it's a rather lengthy oath, but here's the part that's relevant for what I'm saying today. They affirm that, quote, I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. Think about that. We actually ask new citizens of the United States to commit themselves to the Constitution. And by the way, a U.S. Army officer, my father, for example, back in the early 50s, uh, would have taken this oath. 
I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. Have you heard those words before? <laughs> They're almost the same as what we require of a new citizen. Of course, the, the oath is longer uh, than that for an officer. But still, what is it I'm wanting you to see? I want you to see that the president, a member of the Senate, a member of the, ho- of the House, a new army officer, a new citizen of the United States. And by the way, I could have read many more. All pledge themselves to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. Now, we've heard that for so long, it may just roll right off of our ears and we don't really think about what it means. But we are unique in the world. I'm not saying other countries, no other countries do it, but there are a few that do. Uh, We do not just uh, have the president or a member of the Senate or whomever commit to the people or commit to American way of life or commit to, you know, continue the virtues of American history. We ask all of these people I've just listed to commit themselves to a document, to an actual document. Now, let me distinguish just for a moment, because this is so important, uh, between the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. The Declaration of Independence was just what it it, it is described at, what its name suggests. It is the document we used in 1776 to declare ourselves independent of England. And it gives us a lot of the poetry of our national experience. It gives us our, our national creed, so to speak. It, 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 it start, it's the one that starts out when in the course of human events. And it goes on to say a people feel like they need to disband from the powers that have for, they have formerly been joined to. Uh, then it's important for them to declare their independence from that, uh, from that former power and to declare that independence to the world. And some of the great poetry is in the Declaration of Independence. For example, um, the idea that there's a creator, the idea that all men are created equal, the idea that, that, that governments are instituted among men to guarantee the God-given rights that, that are given to a, a, an equal people, a people who are created equal. I could go on and on and on. The Declaration of Independence also, of course, lists all of the uh, wrongs done by King George III and the complaints the colonists had towards England. And then, of course, it declares the United States independent. It is our national creed. It is the poetry of our existence. It is the language that is uh, that burns in so many hearts. Many school children memorize it. Many people, I've, I've sat with tears in my eyes as Kurds and Erbil Iraq, recite to me the entire Declaration of Independence of the United States, a country they had never been in, but which they admired from afar. So that's the Declaration of Independence. Now, our Constitution, I'll tell you frankly, is a far more boring. <laughs> it's much less interesting. And the reason is that having already established our independence and having already uh, sort of enunciated our national values that all men are created equal and that God has given men rights and all the stuff that's in the Declaration, what the, what the founding fathers did with the Constitution was they gave us the procedures. So the Constitution is procedural law. It is, it is the, the setting up of our government. It is what a president does, what a Congress does, what the Supreme Court does. It is how elections are held. 
It's all these types of things. And then it's followed with a Bill of Rights. When they finished the original Constitution, uh, they were concerned that they had erected a federal system, so to speak, um, but they had not guaranteed individual rights. And that's why you have the First Amendment. That's why you have, um, you know, Congress shall establish no law respecting, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's why in the First Amendment, the people, there's freedom of the press and, and redress of grievances and freedom to assemble. In the Second Amendment, of course, famously, uh, there's the right to bear arms. It's the individual in the Bill of Rights, the individual guarantees of our rights. But very little of it, maybe the Bill of Rights is a little bit more poetic, but very little of it is poetic. Very little of it is uh, is moving. It's not meant to be. It's not a faith document. It's not a poetic document. It wasn't written by uh, by Jefferson. It's not. It's not uh, like like the Declaration was. Uh, it's it's basically procedure. You've read procedures. You've read that language. You know the tiny language when you buy a new device or something, and you know it's all the guarantees, all the legal language. It's that stuff when you when you update your your iOS system or something on on with Apple. Pages of legal documents and procedure. Ain't nobody reading that. It's the stuff the guy on the radio says rapidly, like he's a, you know, like he's conducting some kind of a sale or something like that. This document, you know, real fast. It's that kind of language. It's boring. It's fast moving. It's procedure. It's the technical side of our nation. Now, why am I stressing all this? Because we don't ask people when they become new citizens, when they become military officers, when they become members of the House or the Senate, when they run for president, and and, and by the way, and a dozen other things, we don't ask them to commit to individuals. We don't ask them to commit to the people. We don't ask them to commit to a certain body of enumerated ideas in that oath. We ask them primarily to commit to the Constitution. That's how essential our nation, essentially our nation views this document. It's the procedures. It's the processes. It's not a lot of fun. None of you are ever going to memorize it. In fact, I imagine that I, I think statistically it's probably true that most of you listening to this podcast have never even read the entire constitution. Or if you did, you did it in the fifth grade or sixth grade or you know eighth grade. But it is the thing we ask people to commit to. It's the main responsibility of the president. It's the main responsibility of an army officer. It's the main responsibility of a member of the House or Senate. It's a commitment, we ask, of new citizens that they preserve, protect, defend, stand for, believe in, and preserve the Constitution of the United States. That's how essential this document is. Well, I'm bringing all this up because we are living at a time when that, the centrality of the Constitution is beginning to recede. And I think it's a mistake. It's not that I think the founding fathers were perfect. They definitely weren't. Fortunately, they gave us a process for amending the Constitution that has served us well. I'm grateful for the 13th and 14th Amendments that ended slavery and established citizenship and, and provided for equal application, equal enjoyment of the, under the laws. I'm grateful for women having the vote. I'm grateful for the vote being um, from, that 18-year-olds can vote. I'm grateful for the changes that we've had. I'm grateful for the popular election of senators, something that wasn't in the original Constitution. I could go on and on. 
I'm grateful for almost all the amendments. Um, some of them, I think, have been unwisely crafted, but that's for another podcast. The, the, the point is that we have a document that gives us bedrock procedures, gives us uh, procedures and a setup of a government based on our values as uh, announced in the Declaration. And that we then have an opportunity to modify it. There are things we think should not have been allowed. For example, it was a mistake to have a three-fifths compromise in the original Constitution. It was a mistake to count a black man as three-fifths. It was a mistake. Uh, We wish we could all go back and have outlawed slavery from the beginning. We could go on and on, but those things are being addressed. They have been addressed, and we will have other uh, additions to the Bill of Rights, uh, other amendments to the Constitution that will bring changes. My point is that what is happening, and by the way, it's happening by, uh, on the part of both Democrats and Republicans, is that we are moving away from the centrality of the Constitution. We are moving towards imperial presidencies. This is what scholars have called it in times past. The idea that a strongman president can do things directly, doesn't have to work with Congress, can do things by executive order, and they do not have to work the machinery of the Constitution. Uh, They do not have to work with the other parts of government, the the Congress, and of course, the Supreme Court. They do not have to work through our federal system as prescribed in the Constitution, meaning there are certain obligations and duties and authorities that the the federal government has, but a lot of things should be passed to the states where they can be individually tailored for the people who live in that locality. That's how abortion should have been left. That's how other things should have been left uh, so that we didn't have the kind of dictatorial centrality that we now have. And so things are where we've got some trends that are heading in the wrong direction when you consider how vital, how central the Constitution is to what we ask of people, to what is, our, is the responsibility of a president, to what is the responsibility of those in Congress, etc. It is now the habit of a president on the day he's inaugurated to go to his desk and issue executive orders, direct orders, uh, direct insistences about governing, many of which should have been worked through the Congress or should have been left to the states. We don't believe in imperial presidencies. The Constitution does not erect an imperial presidency. In fact, the main uh, branch of government under the Constitution of course, is Congress. The problem today is we have such an unbelievably dysfunctional Congress that many of the people, and certainly presidents, want to just go around them to get anything done because everything seems to stall. As someone said to me in D.C., Congress is where good laws go to die. Congress is where good governing goes to die. Well, that's got to change. We need some reform of Congress. We need it to be responsive. We need it to be nimble. So, yes, Donald Trump issued many, many executive orders uh, to do things that should have been run by Congress, a functioning Congress. And, of course, we all know famously that Joe Biden has done the same thing uh, in the last weeks here since he was inaugurated on January 20th. My point is not just a gripe. My point is to say to all of us that the Constitution is not just a a dead document, uh, you know, put together by a bunch of slaveholders. That is not the case. It was a originally a, a document that now we would consider to be somewhat flawed, but it was largely fixed by amendment, which was exactly the process. 
And if you go back and read the writings of the founding fathers, they said later generations will have greater wisdom. Later generations will straighten out the slavery thing. Later generations will understand what to do. As Abigail Adams what, uh, once said to her husband, she said, don't forget the ladies. And later generations didn't forget the ladies. And look at the number of women we now have in our government. And look at the fact that we have a female vice president. Time, times change. And many times they should have changed earlier. But the point is that the Constitution is the core setup of our society. And I want to suggest that both left and right in America are forgetting this. And it's to our detriment. Donald Trump, I don't believe he incited insurrection on the 6th of January. And that is absolutely not me um, uh, protecting him or defending him. Instead, I, I believe that he attempted to overthrow the 12th Amendment of the Constitution. Do you see my case? My case is constitutional. I don't think Donald Trump had enough sense to know that his words would incite violence up on the Hill. But I do believe he, over, he, he was involved in an overthrowing, subverting is the, more the legal word, the 12th Amendment of the Constitution. I do believe he re- engaged in reckless endangerment. I do believe he engaged in depraved indifference. And he's probably going to be charged criminally with those very things uh, in the coming months as people, out, uh, people in the, through the criminal courts bring the case against him. That probably, by the way, the Congress should have. And again, I, I, I think that was mostly a show trial. Uh, I know I sound like I'm talking on both sides of the issue, but Donald Trump absolutely was irresponsible. But to impeach him when he was out of office and on, and on the basis of incitement was misguided, as I've said in an earlier podcast. What's my point? My point is that the Constitution is the core of the issue. He violated the Constitution. He sought to overthrow part of the Constitution. And I believe that Joe Biden is doing something, some of the same with the um, amazing number of executive orders that he is issuing. The core of the issue, getting away from left and right, the core of the issue is that at the center of our society, other than God, other than faith, other than the valor of our founding fathers, other than the contributions of previous generations, is the Constitution of the United States. The erection of a government and a document based on the principles laid out in the Declaration of Independence so poetically and so beautifully. So I want to urge you in the coming months, maybe now that some of the, the, the television's not just on fire every day with some new incendiary issue, take a little time. Read the Declaration of Independence. Uh, read the Constitution. Ta- ta- do, it, do it slowly. Read one, one article a day or one whatever you want a day. Read it slowly so that you don't just bore yourself by trying to sit down and read it all at one time. It's boring. It's not that exciting. It's procedure. The Declaration is far more interesting and can be read in one sitting easily. But, but read these documents. And if you want to, all the oaths that I've just listed for the president, for Congress, for new citizens, for military officers, and others. By the way, read the oath of the Secretary of State of the United States. Read the oath of the Secretary of the Interior of the United States. And all of them, which are easily Googled, you will find a commitment required and called upon to the Constitution. So we've got to come back to this document. We've got to not discard it because some folks say, well, they were all slaveholders or some folks say that, you know, some of them weren't wise or some of them were traitors or what have you. Um, The fact is we had a valiant genius cluster at the founding of this country. They put a document in place that they entrusted to later generations to modify and fix. We've done a lot of that and good things have come of it. And so now There's no excuse for us moving away from it as dramatically as we are. And we're doing it mainly 
because we have strong men presidents, because we have impatient political agendas, because we have uh, agendas and desires and insistences that are not in keeping with the Constitution. And so we seek to go around the Constitution in the same way presidents seek to go around the Congress. We need a constitutionally based reform of our country. We need to come back to the Constitution. It works. It's a safeguard. It can be amended where we may not have it quite right. It can be entrusted to future generations. It was given to us by the genius cluster of our revolutionary era. And I believe that it's the core to bringing our society back to some sanity. So if we're asking our president, our senators, our congressmen, our military officers, our cabinet officers, our new citizens, and a whole lot of other folks to commit themselves to the Constitution, then we should be as a generation. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.